Yeah, at the end of our service, we're going to be invaded by a bunch of our students, which will be awesome. They'll come back in here to kind of participate with us and see uh, a video recap. You'll be able to hear from Patton. Um, and I just believe that right now we're in a little bit of a special season at our church. Um, you know, we've been doing gospel engagements now for a year and a half where we're engaging as many people as we can with the gospel and trying to make a difference in people's lives. We did that this past Wednesday night with the fifth day of VBS, our VBS follow-up, and just had some incredible interactions that even came out of that time period as we were going to people's homes and just dropping off little gift bags and things like that for folks that had been a part of Vacation Bible School. As Kirk mentioned, 39 uh, professions of faith decisions. Uh, and then in camp to have 16 is just kind of amazing. And I say that to you because we've done gospel engagements for a long time now. And, you know, our staff has been faithful to do that. We hold each other accountable. Uh, every week when we start our staff meeting, that's one of the first things we start with after we pray for the, the local body here, the church. We begin going around the room saying, these are the people that God allowed me to engage with the gospel this week. We need to pray for this person and whatnot. And, you know, one of the things that kind of happened is that for me, having been, been faithful to do that, you know, we're, we're trying to average two a week as we do these things, not having uh, anyone respond to faith in Christ as I personally engaged them with the gospel. You know, you go like, man, Lord, what are we doing? We're trying to do this. You, know, you lead people to Christ that are at church or something. I mean, it's, that's different. But when we're out doing that, and in April, I had the chance to lead two gentlemen to Christ on the same day. And I had nothing to do with engaging either one of them with the gospel. That's what's so funny about it, right? Is that one called and said, I need to meet with you. Another called us and to meet with you. They came by and just, it was an amazing thing. And it just reminds us of something that Jesus told the disciples. He said that when you go into the harvest fields, a lot of times you're harvesting in places where you didn't sow. Someone had done the work and you're receiving the benefit of that. And I believe that we're in a harvest time right now and it's a special time for us. And so... Uh, just thank you for being a part of that and being faithful to engage people with the gospel and being faithful to be camp counselors and vacation Bible school guides. All of that stuff's really important. Well, this week we're going to be getting into some territory that I believe is going to affect every one of us. So far in this hashtag relationship series, talking about relational guidelines and what it means for us to be in relationship with one another, there's probably been a moment where you go, yeah, I can probably see how that would be important, but it doesn't really affect me. You know, we're talking about murder, and I don't, I'm not a person that hates people, so that's kind of a thing. I don't really have to worry about that. And, you know, adultery, yeah, I don't really struggle with adultery or lust, or, or I'm not casually married. You know, maybe you've been able to excuse yourself from, from these, but you can't from today. Because what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to make it a little more complicated for us and deal with something so personal that every one of us has felt these emotions. We've all experienced this. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine uh, a couple of months ago, and we were talking about this great country that we live in, and he said about our country that it seems like we've become a nation of rights. That's, that's really an important thing. And if you think about it, we were kind of founded with the idea of rights being important. And when we had a, the Constitutional Convention and we were trying to ratify the Constitution, there had to be introduced a Bill of Rights. And, and the First Amendment to that is pretty important to us as believers because it allows us to worship the Lord without interference. It allows us to gather and protest. allows us to speak our minds freely, freedom of the press, those kinds of things. And so you might agree, yeah, I mean, we are, as Americans, we believe in our rights. That, that's an important thing for us. 
And I think today what we're seeing is that some people's rights are being uh, kind of accentuated as we hear about individual rights. And as believers, we may even feel like that it's possible that some of the rights that have been afforded to us in time past are being diminished. And I I think that we kind of have to understand something here. The reason that that kind of strikes a chord with us is because we all want to protect our rights. We want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And that's our right. That's what we believe. And so when anything comes against that, it becomes like we feel like our rights have been injured. It kind of makes us kind of bow up and be ready to, to kind of fight or be able to say something to somebody that's you know, going to be just as injurious to them. And today as we look at this scripture passage, all of that's going to be brought into question because Jesus is really going to hammer home this idea that your rights are not nearly as important as your character and your witness. Your rights don't trump your character, and your witness. And while we may be concerned with rights, Jesus is concerned with character and witness. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 5. And we'll begin reading in verse 38 as we kind of continue through the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to encourage you this morning to turn your phones off, put them in airplane mode, and kind of stuff them away because I really do believe that the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us about these things this morning And really get rid of some of these things that exist in our lives as believers and change our attitudes towards what we believe maybe is rightfully ours. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 is our text. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And don't we all know that scripture, right? You may not know any other scripture, but you're like, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You got that one down, and I like it, right? That one kind of strikes a chord with us. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now I read this and my first reaction is to immediately start explaining these things away as if I don't have to deal with them, right? That's for other people and you should really do it. But in my certain situation, it is different. I mean, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. Because it's a unique situation, Jesus. And if you understood my unique situation, then you'd understand why I get to do what I want to do because it's my right. And he's coming against that this morning and saying that's not going to work. You may even have a pretty good response for each one of these as we've read these. These four areas of our lives. And he's saying to us, you have to align your lives to the scripture. Now, we have to be pretty disciplined as we study this this morning. And we need to make certain that we do a couple of things, as I've said all along. What we don't want to do is make this passage of Scripture say more than it says, and what we don't want to do is make this passage of Scripture say less than what it says. Because when Jesus was talking about the command against murder, he was heightening that to hate, right? When he was talking about the command against adultery, he was heightening that to lust in your heart. When he talked about the the casually married person, he said, you can't casually divorce. This isn't a relationship you just break and throw people away as, as if they can just be thrown on a trash heap. That's not what you do. As he talked about making our vows last week, he says, don't do it. Just live with integrity. So every one of these things has been heightened. And if we look at these, what we're going to see is that there's good that comes from us giving up our rights Because as God builds our character and he builds our witness, we're really having the character of Christ formed in us. And I think this is perfectly illustrated for us, if we have any doubt, in Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus giving up every right that he ever had. He had a home in glory, and he gave up all of that so that he could take your shame 
and my shame and bear it all the way to the cross, even death on a cross. He was willing to do that. He set aside what was rightfully his so that he could do that. So he, he's modeling something for us that's really important, and I want us to see that. Now, this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth comes to us, first of all, in Exodus chapter 21. And there's a couple of ways that we could look at that, and I think it's important that we do. Because we may say about this, well, it's obvious that what God was doing is he was forming a nation, is he set a legal code, and you had to exact retribution up to that point. So if you knocked out my tooth, I am by law required to knock out your tooth. I don't think that's a, a great way of looking at it. I think we should see it as a limit to retribution. In other words, you knock out my tooth, I don't get to cut off your arm, right? So there's a difference there. But what starts to happen here is I start to say, well, what goes around comes around and you had it coming and I'm going to make sure that you get it so that you feel the pain that I felt and you feel the shame that I felt or the injury that I felt, whatever it is, and I'm going to retaliate you in kind in the way that you have treated me. Well, when Jesus starts teaching about this, he's speaking about something important that we need to see. He qualifies it by saying this is an evil person who's trying to do you harm. When an evil person does this. Now, we might say about this and try to make this passage say more than what it says. And say, well, obvious, this, obviously this passage means that we should never retaliate or defend ourselves. Well, that's not what it says at all. It says when an evil person comes and slaps you. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. But Jesus, if you remember, at some point told his disciples, when you go on this journey, don't take anything with you. Don't take a belt. Don't take an extra, extra coat. Don't take a sword with you. But then later he tells his disciples, if you don't have a sword, you're going to need one. Get one. Now let's be honest about that for just a second. Do you think that Jesus wanted everybody to have a sword because they were going to make their living doing sword demonstrations in the street? Why do you carry a sword? It's for defense, right? There's something going on here. We're not talking about protecting life. What he's talking about is we're going to see is when someone is trying to insult you or slander you or injure you in some way, whether it's in business or personal dealings or through authority that they're exercising that isn't right, you're going to see this in just a second. I think it's really important. So let's look at these four areas that Jesus starts to speak to. The first has to do with an insult when he says, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Now, we're not talking about somebody came and punched you. Why would you slap somebody? If you've ever had the unfortunate distinction of being slapped, you know why. It's shameful, isn't it? And in cultures all around the world, if somebody walks up to you and slaps you publicly, it's a humiliating thing. It's an insult. It's almost like if someone spits in your face. And what happens if that were to happen to you? Immediately, you're ready to go, right? I mean, it's like, let's get it on. We're going to fight. I'm going to kill you right now because of what you've just done. And Jesus says, when you're insulted in this way, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. Well, that has a lot to say for us because I think one of the things that we think about is that somebody insults me or someone injures me or shames me like that. I'm going to retaliate so they know exactly what it feels like. And I want to shame them in a way so that they will feel the exact way that I have felt. Or I'm going to insult them in a way so that they'll feel the exact way that I have been humiliated or shamed or harmed or injured, whatever it is. And the first thought that comes to our mind when an evil person wants to assail us is we want to point out something in their lives as well. We want to do the exact same thing. So maybe our boss humiliates us in front of an entire group of our employees. We just can't wait. How many of you have ever done this? And well, let's not have a, let's keep our hands down. This could be embarrassing. This could be embarrassing. Rhetorical question. Have you ever had an incident like that? And you spent the next three days thinking of what you should have said? I tell you what, 
if I should have just, I should have pointed out that he's an idiot. I should have said, I should have, and you just run through that scenario and you can't let it go. And you're just waiting for an opportunity to throw that zinger out there, right? It's that kind of thing. You've been humiliated. Maybe somebody posted something on social media about you that was untrue. And everything within you wanted to just absolutely tear them apart. And Jesus says, the Christian response requires control. And it's the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the natural part of our lives screams to retaliate. The natural part of our lives screams that when our rights have been affected, when we have been injured, when we have been slandered, for us to stand right up and get right into the mix of it. Because the flesh cries out, justify yourself. And Jesus didn't tell us to do that. He says here, I want you to do something that's counterintuitive. Now here's what I love about what Jesus is telling us here. He's telling us to do something that in just a little while he's going to live out. So this is not do as I say, not as I do. This is Jesus saying, this is how you're to live. And if anyone had heard this and then was paying attention to this, they would have understood exactly what he was talking about on the night that he was arrested. Remember what the Jews did to him? You just don't talk to the high priest that way. Smack. Remember what the Romans did to him? Prophesy, who's hitting you? Smack. I find that amazing. One, that it happened. Two, that Jesus didn't speak a word and have them killed. One word. That's all it took. Do you remember, there's this funny story in the Old Testament where one of the prophets is walking along and I don't know, as I'm losing my hair, I remind my kids of this from time to time, because the prophet's walking along and some kids come up and are like, hey, you old bald head, and immediately they're ravaged by an animal. I tell my kids that all the time, keep making fun of me. That's right. One of these days, it's coming. You better watch out for the tiger or the bear when we're hiking. It's coming after you, you know? Right? What? Do you think that Jesus was less than that? Do you think that Jesus had less power to affect that situation or that outcome? Remember that the next time that you feel you need to return shame for shame or insult for insult. The second thing has to do with our financial dealings in the marketplace. In the Old Testament, you were not permitted to take someone's outer garment as a promissory note of payment because the outer garment also doubled as a coat that would be a blanket. So you could take something else from someone, but you were prohibited from taking their outer garment because if night came and it got cold, they could be exposed to the elements. And Jesus says this weird thing, right? If somebody wants to take your shirt, give them the outer garment too. Just go on and give it all to them. He says in your financial dealings, don't just be right. Make sure that in your financial dealings, you make sure they all take place with character. If somebody wants your garment, give it all to them. Just let them have it. You know, I was recently talking with uh, one of our church members who's in the food service industry here in Nashville, and he told me that one of the jobs that he has is dealing with disgruntled customers all the time. Now, I eat at this place a lot, and I've never been disgruntled. I can't ever imagine being disgruntled or them not being able to take care of the small little issue I had. But he said, you'd be amazed at what people call and say. Oh, we wanted this, and it didn't happen, and, and you really messed that up, and I want a refund. And I said, how do you deal with that when you know that you're right? And he said, the customer's always right. We just try to live with a witness that says, that doesn't matter. We believe that God's going to take care of it. 
I thought that was a fascinating thing because here Jesus is saying the evil person comes after you and says, I'm going to sue you, I'm going to take your, your, your shirt. And he says, just give them the coat anyway. Why would he say that? Because he's obviously able to provide for us and take care of everything that we need. And when we go into our financial dealings, you may be right or you can choose to have a witness. And I think this is a wonderful attitude on display of trusting God for us. In our, in our business dealings, we have to be above reproach. In no way can we afford to injure the name of our Lord Jesus through what we do. And you say, well, it's not right. I, I didn't do that. I, I shouldn't have to pay that. Do it. Don't worry about your rights. Why? Well, we're not possessors of anything. We're stewards of everything. And if everything that comes through my hands is God's, then I don't have to worry about it because he's going to allow my character be, to be on display, which is more important than my bank account being on display. The third area that Jesus deals with has to do with authority. He says, if somebody wants you to walk a mile, you go too. That sounds a little funny to us, but I remember as a teenager hearing someone preach about this passage saying, it was customary for Jews who were under occupation to be impressed into service. They, they, would, they would have to go do things for the Romans. Now, it'd be bad enough if your own government knocked on your door, the Jews, and said, uh, look, I'm a Jewish leader, you have to do this for me, but this is an occupying army and the law kind of stipulated that you had to carry a load if they wanted you to one mile. And I was told, I don't know if it's accurate or not, but it's just stuck in my head, that many Jews would leave their house and mark off exactly one mile and put a rock. Then they'd go the other way, mark off one mile and put a rock. And the idea was somebody knocks on your door and they put this burden on you and you walk and you get to your mile, dump the burden and say, there you go, did my obligation, it's on you now. Jesus says, how do you handle authority when someone comes and presses in against you like this and you don't agree with it? Well, I think most of us say that, you know, I like authority when I'm in authority. I like authority when my boss is good to me. Uh, but what happens when you don't agree with the authority? Well, we have to remember a few things. All authority comes from God. None of it's handed down by man. It all comes from God. And so as Jesus starts to talk about this, the implications for us become really important. How are you handling the authority of the person at work who's over you who's just a jerk? How do you handle that authority? Do you handle it well? Are you God-honoring in that? Do you do just the minimum that you have to do based on what your boss says? Or do you carry the load that they've asked you to do? Do you take it a little bit farther? Or are you constantly railing against the authority in your life? Let me, let me just meddle a little bit. How about when the person in the White House is not somebody you like? Are they an idiot? Are they a jerk? Are they to be disregarded? Right? Live long enough in America and somebody's going to be in the White House that you didn't vote for. Am I right? Is that how this works? Isn't that how it works? And so what do you do? How do we as believers do that? I hear people talk about our mayor and our elected officials in the worst kinds of ways and they're believers talking about that. As if their authority is not God-given, as if they haven't been placed there for such a time as this. We may not agree with authority, but how we handle the authority in our lives speaks volumes of our character. If you struggle with this, I'd encourage you to grab the book of Genesis, go back and look at the story of Joseph. You read the story of Joseph, you will get a primer on how to live in authority. Because what happened in Joseph's life, Joseph was someone who was sold into slavery by his brothers. That's not fair. That's not good. And he lands at a home where he works his way up by being under authority. And when he has the chance to get the master back, how can he do it? The master's wife says, come and I want to have a relationship with you. What does Joseph say? Nope. It wouldn't be right. 
It wouldn't be right for me to do this in the sight of God. It wouldn't be right for me to do this in the sight of my my master here on earth, your husband. I'm not going to do it. He refuses her advances and ends up in a dungeon. And what happens? He begins by obeying authority. And what happens to him? He rises and rises and rises until one day he has authority. How you get authority is to be under authority. How you respond to authority It's such a crucial point for the believer's life. And even when it's somebody that we don't respect, even when it's somebody we believe is different or evil even, that's hard, isn't it? The authority that we're given is granted by God, every one of us. And how we respond to it says so much. It's a key principle for us. The fourth area has to do with our generosity towards others. Maybe it's somebody at your work who you just despise and they need something. Do you ever remember uh, being a kid and having a fresh pack of gum? I love a fresh pack of gum. You take that first piece, you put the other pack in your pocket. My sister has a nose like a bloodhound. She could be across the house and go, what do you have in your mouth? And what did you always say? Nothing. Do you have any extra gum? Nope. Right? Because what's mine is mine. And what you don't have, that's yours too. Right? But this is mine. This has nothing to do with you. This is mine. And sometimes we feel like that if we're doing what Jesus says when he says, if somebody's in need of something, give it to them. We say, well, that doesn't make good economic sense. I've always heard neither borrower nor a lender be. That's what you should be. You should not give in that way. You shouldn't let someone borrow. You shouldn't loan out. And we think about that. And I just remind you that that wasn't in the scripture. That's Shakespeare, right? Polonius said that in Hamlet. Neither borrower nor lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend. Bill Shakespeare's a wise guy, right? Good stuff. Not compared to Jesus. And Jesus says something here that says somebody asks you for something and you grant it. Well, how do you handle these things that you possess? Because how you handle them is going to say tons about your character. How do you feel when somebody asks you for help? Do you feel like that kid again who has the fresh pack of gum that nobody else needs because you need to save it for a rainy day? And by the way, good sense says you just shouldn't do that. I mean, when you're walking downtown and you see someone and they ask you for some money, good common sense says you wouldn't give it to them. I mean, they're just going to use it on booze or something, right? Well, that's a nice cop-out, isn't it? It doesn't say give them exactly what they ask for. He says give to those who ask. I take what Oswald Chambers, I think it's been credited to him, said. When people said, how do you determine who you're going to give to? He says, I give to all who ask and let God determines who asks. Now, is it wise sometimes? Somebody downtown, can I have $100? Probably not. Can I get you food, shelter, and clothing? With that $100? Can, can I intersect your story right here and allow my story to intersect your story and grant something that'll make a difference in your life? Would it be possible for me to do that and honor the Lord? Well, the scripture seems to think so because it talks a lot about this. Proverbs three twenty-seven and 28. Don't withhold good from those who it is due when it's in your power to do it. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. Have you ever done that? Hey, can I borrow this? Not right now. Can you help me? Not right now. What does not right now mean? 
I could do it, but I'm not going to do it, right? Why, why do today what I could put off till tomorrow? Because if I put it off till tomorrow, you'll probably forget about it. That'd be great. Then I don't have to give it to you. And yet Jesus says, we need to do that. Then John, uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, but whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? There, there's something here that says, even when it's somebody maybe that is trying to injure us or has tried to injure us and we see the opportunity. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? If I saw them in a car wreck, I wouldn't even stop the car to help them. Wow. You ever said that? Have you ever wished for that to happen? As Jesus begins talking to these things, he's reminding us that, man, it might be really hard sometimes to forgive somebody who I love when they hurt me. I mean, that, that may be hard. But it's really easy to hate somebody that I already hate. It's really, really hard to do these things, isn't it? It's hard for our character to be formed in the ways of Christ. And the only way that that happens is that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and begins crucifying, putting to death those things in our lives that just well up inside of us. I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to do this. We have to remember vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. Not our job. Our job is to show mercy and love and generosity. Character counts. When I was uh, in sixth grade, I rode a bus to school back and forth with a bunch of people. Sixth graders sat on the back of the bus. It was kind of cool, you know, farthest away. Couldn't wait to be in sixth grade. And I can't get this story out of my head as I've thought about this week. There were two girls on that bus that I was friends with. And one day in the company of those sixth graders, maybe even a few fifth graders in the back of the bus, one of the girls said and I don't even know how this got started, but said, I know something about her that if I said it would ruin her, basically. Not to be outdone, the other friend of mine said, well, I know something about her family that if I said it would ruin her family. And this kind of went on for a couple of days. And I got to be honest with you, like, I mean, I wanted to know what was going on. You know, like I was ready to hear what they were going to share. I was ready for this moment. And it kind of happened, as I recall, it seemed like it was on a Thursday because I do remember us all riding the bus and it being very awkward the next day. And it kind of came that as we were getting close to getting into our neighborhood, that these two girls decided today was going to be the day they were going to share these things. And it was all going to come out. And we were all kind of in the back waiting for that to happen. And the first girl went. And what she said would make a preacher blush. I can't even share it with you. It's so R-rated. Immediately, my other friend started sobbing. And then shared this secret about the other girl's family. And immediately, she started sobbing. And they both ran off the bus at the next stop. I remember in that moment, wanting to go home and throw up. It was that bad. And I remember just feeling gross because I was a believer already at that time. I'd been a believer for a few years and, and I knew what we'd just seen was such a violation of every good and perfect thing that God would have. And I had been right in the middle of it. I mean, I mean to be honest, I had no idea 
that they were going to say that because what they said was like eye-opening in my life. You know, it was like, we'll never get that out of my head. I'm 42 years old and I can take you right back to that bus today. The problem is when we retaliate, insult for insult, evil grows. It's multiplied, see. I'll never forget that Friday morning picking up on the school bus those two friends of mine who I equally liked. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't have any issue with either of them. And seeing their puffy eyes because they'd been crying through the evening. And I never wanted to be part of that again. It, it physically brings all that back to me again this morning, just thinking about it. When we as believers retaliate towards evil with evil, evil wins. Satan gets the last laugh. But when we slay evil with good, God's glorified. So I'm going to ask you to do this right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I want you to think about something with me for just a second. Is there somebody that you've just been waiting to get back at? Is there somebody you're hoping their time comes around and you're there to see it when it happens? Or maybe you've retaliated against someone. Would you ask the Holy Spirit this morning to put that to death in your life? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to form the character of Christ in your life? Our Father, we admit our own sin this morning and how we want to stand up for our rights and be retaliating people. But God, we would ask you right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would put those things to death and you'd bring out the character of Christ so that love really will win. Lord, let us not be a part of multiplying evil. And give us wisdom as we face these situations to do the right things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.